Awesome. Well, good morning, friends. Um, it is so good to be back, especially like after a week of ice. I don't know about y'all, but I was clawing at my walls. Um, and so it's just a joy to be with you guys today. Um, if we have not met, my name is Megan Granigan. Um, my family and I have been at Trinity for about six years. Um, it's me and my husband, and then we have three um, wild boys. And so anyway, um, we are studying today James 1, um, 19 through 2, 13. So I'm going to go ahead and read that so that it's at the forefront of our minds, and then we'll get going on it and dive in. Okay. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with uh, meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once um, forgets what he um, was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, for the Lord of of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the kingdom to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, so right away we see James... um, talking with his original audience about um, kind of like a cultural norm or like an ideal that they would be used to hearing. And that would be being very um, quick to hear, being patient to hear, and then um, slow to speak and slow to anger. For the Jewish people, this was like a big thing that was kind of drilled into them. Um, It was a big kind of societal norm. And we see James um, showing the contrast between the words and what they ultimately produced. Hasty speech um, is fueled, um, it fuels and is fueled by righteous anger. But, um, uh, let's see, 
um, fuels unrighteous anger, excuse me, while receiving the speech, the word of God, through meekness and being slow to speech, um, speak, produces new life and salvation. The funny thing is, is the former occurs when there is no wisdom or a wrong assumption of plentiful wisdom. I think we've all been at the dinner party where the man thinks he knows it all and like just blurts out, you know, whatever he says, he's going to tell you what he thinks. Um, and he has like an assumption of plentiful wisdom when maybe there's not that there. Versus the latter um, is actually from the true source of wisdom. They're saying receive the implanted word um, and um, for, and from God, and that will be your life and your salvation, and that is from the true source of wisdom. And James has already taught us that if we lack wisdom to ask from God. So we know about that. Um, so how does this impact us today? We know that this is for you know, um, ancient Jews, but like, how does that impact us today? How are we supposed to check in on our speech? Um, I don't know, for those of you who have kids, maybe if you don't have kids, um, there's a great like Rain for Roots album. Um, it's kids songs that just won't make your eyes cross in the car. And um, let's see, is it um, Katie Browser has one called Good Fruit. And I put it on your um, handout, but I like sing it in the car with my boys and like I'm singing it to myself. <laughs> um, it says, apples don't grow on pear trees. Apples don't grow on pear trees. No apples there, they only grow pears. Are y'all getting this stuck in your head now, moms? Um, your heart is where the words of your mouth grow. And your mouth is where the thoughts of your heart go. Jesus changed our hearts to bear good fruit. Um, and so Jesus is so intent about us being you know, quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger because he knows that just as Courtney Doctor said um, in our study this week, um, that genuine faith won't lead um, just to the bridling of a woman's tongue, but, to ha um, but having a desire for her words to accurately reflect her new heart. So James isn't saying, like, just sit on your words all the time and don't say anything and don't have any conflict. That's not, that's not it. It's saying that the change is coming from within. But this new change, um, uh, being you know, Christ's own, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that is going to come out in our speech. Um, and so that's what he is really impressing upon us. And I think that you know, we all know how we handle our tongues is often the forefront um, of how we're perceived by people, both inside the church, but also outside the church. Um, we've all kind of been there, either at like the PTA meeting or at the work meeting, and there's the, you know, the gal that's like kind of been gabbing for 20 minutes about so-and-so's divorce. And you sit there and you go like, oh my gosh, well, I'm having marriage problems, but I know who I'm not going to talk about or you don't tell because she's gonna tell her next lunch date, you know, kind of deal. Um, or what about when you're sitting at dinner? I've been guilty of this. You're sitting at dinner and you know, you're wanting a little bit of comedy and so you take a, like, a cute job at your husband. Are you, being like, are you being perceived that you have respect and honor for your husband, even if it was like playful? Um, or one that um, has really convicted me lately is when my kids have something that they need to come and confess to me, are they going to um, know that they're coming and getting grace and good counsel? Or are they going to be coming and getting anger and judgment and frustration? Like, I have my words and how I, you know, interact with them before. Like, what are they going to expect from me? Does that make sense? So Colossians has a lot to say about our speech as well. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how um, you ought to answer each person. And then Colossians 3, 8 conversely says, and kind of what we talked about in our Bible study says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 
So then um, we start talking about like, you know, um, the scripture and like, you know, not, excuse me, um, not looking yourself in the mirror and then running away and forgetting. We, so I said we have three boys. One of our boys, um, I, you can tell him, my mother-in-law also has three boys and so she gave great advice when I was, you know, starting like my motherhood journey. She was like, boys need five words or less. You say five words and you look them in the eye and maybe they're gonna get it. And so my sweet boy, no names mentioned, Okay, buddy, you need to go put your pants on. Okay, mama. And then we run away. And then 10 minutes later, there are no pants. And it's like, buddy, you got to put your pants on. Three hours later, we still have no pants on. And I it just like when I was reading that, I was like, that's me. I'm the no pants. You know, like I will read my scripture. I will, you know, um, do my like daily Bible say, is anyone still doing their Bible in a year? Mine like kind of failed in the first week of the year. But like, you know, you do it, you check the mark off. And then you forget, like you forget what you read. You haven't internalized it. You forget whose you are throughout the day, right? Like I do this. I will forget that I am Christ's own. And so um, James is saying, don't do that. You know, like know, you know, read the word and let it sink in. Um, and so I just think that like, you know, let us pray that God would like, you know, use his word to bind us more tightly in our identity to him. Um, and I think that like one thing to talk about on this, James is not saying on like the being a doer. He is not saying that works justifies our salvation. Um, he and Paul are very much in one accord on this. Like this is not, if you are not doing works, then like, you know, like your salvation's out the window, okay? He's saying that, um, that salvation is only had through the atoning work of Christ, but that whatever, like we said before with our speech, whatever is happening inside our hearts, if we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, and if we are continuing our process of sanctification, we're going to see that come out, right? Paul even reminds us in Galatians 5 that we're going to see this when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then the one we just talked about, self-control. Um, against, um, against such things there is no law. And in the same way, well actually conversely, we see Matthew warning us about false prophets. And what does he warn us about? He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. And so um, are, uh, grapes not, um, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And so they're basically just saying, whatever is happening inwardly is going to reach its way outward. It's only a, a matter of like time and of circumstance that we are going to see whatever is happening inside our hearts, in our behavior, in our speech, in our actions, all of that. But are we bound and imprisoned by the law? He talks about the perfect law, the law of liberty. Is this like a cage that we are imprisoned by? No, um, absolutely not. The perfect law in this text is the law of liberty. It is um, a loving and beautiful framework from w um, which God has designed for us to live our best lives and be our best selves. Um, and so when I was thinking about that in the law of liberty, because remember, you know, he's talking to um, probably Messianic Jews here. They have dealt with and their ancestors have dealt with the law their whole lives and everything. Um, I, was, I was reading it and I was thinking about the one parenting book that I read whenever I was pregnant with Charlie, our oldest. Um, it was not a parenting book, it was Bringing Up Bebe. Have y'all read this one? It's like about an American expat who like raises her children in France, in Paris. And she talks about this kind of like um, French ideal called the cadre. It's basically like you're kind 
kind of framework, like your boundaries. And you know, they, she's saying like the French believe that like these kids need these really firm boundaries, but there's a lot of freedom within the boundaries, right? And that's kind of the law of liberty. Like we, you know, we are called to live a certain way, to live as um, believers, but like the, there is freedom, like we have freedom um, in that. And so in, in the same kind of vein, it's like pr pruning a rosebush. Like my dad always told me around Valentine's Day, you prune that rosebush. If you didn't, Miss Patsy's nodding because we're garden buddies. If you didn't, um, uh, then you would have like really leggy, you know, stems and everything, and there would not be many what fruit blooms. Like you need to cut it back, you need to cultivate it to train it up, um, so that you get the beauty of the blooms the next season. Okay, and so in the same way, God, um, as He brings us closer to Himself, we respond um, to that love with obedience, and that's kind of what James is talking about. So that pulls us away from like the works-based salvation and into this is like out of the love that we have, like the love that God has for us and the love we have for him is the obedience. Um, in obeying, we are hopefully working out our faith in his good and perfect framework. Just like the codger for the young French child, um, we have the law of liberty to help us find our way back when we do stray, and we're going to stray sometimes, right? But when we are doers, as well as hearers of the world, um, word, James says we will be blessed. Now, this is not the Joel Osteen prosperity gospel. Like, this is not the part of the Bible where you realize, like, the get-rich-quick scheme. Um, when we're blessed, it's because we are blessed to be the image bearers of a holy and perfect God. Like, that is our gift, is that we get to be image bearers in this world of our Savior. Um, the author and the definer of shalom. And the scripture is not saying, like, if you obey, life will be easy. There are some of those. Like, if you obey the do not murder commandment, you're not going to sit in jail for the rest of your life on a first-degree murder charge. Like, those are good things. But it is saying that... Um, obedience will sow seeds of shalom like i like to think of it as like if you are obedient and you're walking um in god's good and perfect like law and his path that you're going to be sowing seeds of shalom in a broken and a dark world and that is the gift that's a blessing with those seeds of shalom um little bits of light will start shining okay and that's what we're called to do is to be like the little bits of light so moving on um to the text on partiality <laughs> Um, to help us see this a little bit more clearly, like who is poor in the text, it's talking about the assembly, so like, you know, our gathering and everything, right? Um, I think that it would be helpful um, to look at Luke 14. I came across this passage um, listening to a sermon by my old pastor, Tim Frickenschmidt, on hospitality, and um, couldn't help but thinking the whole time about like how the rich and the poor are talked about in our passage in regards to what Christ says about them um, and the treatment of the poor and their place in the economy of God. Like, we're going to talk a lot about the economy of God, okay? Um, I will say, full credit to Tim, like, he is much smarter than I am and can say things much better than I ever could. So I did, like, borrow some of the thoughts from his sermon that I, like, gleaned and everything. He was wonderful. Um, okay, so let me read it real quick. Um, I printed it out for you guys. Um, okay, we're going to start in 12. So Jesus is um, having like a dinner or a banquet with one of the high Pharisees, like one of the highest ones, just to kind of give you context. Um, context. And he starts to say to the Pharisee, he says, he said also to the man who um, had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. 
for you will be repaid at the um, resurrection of the just. When uh, When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, The man gave a great banquet and invited many. And at, the time for the, um, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had um, been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike may, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and, um, and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have uh, commanded um, has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in um, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those um, men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Okay. So we see, like, Christ's hospitality in this passage. Um, And we should see, um, first and foremost, that God is fundamentally a host. Like, he is the host in this passage, right? Um, And he is not just a host. Like, he is unimaginably hospitable. And he has an insatiable desire for his people to come and to feast with him, right? Um, and so, let's see. Um, he goes like he goes to um, you know tell the party basically like er, to tell the man the Pharisee. He says, okay, like great party. You've invited all the wrong people. Like you've invited all the fancy people, like all the you know people of stature and everything. You should have invited um, those who were poor and who were lame and crippled. Those who are marginalized and just like have nothing left to give. Those are the people you should invite. Um, and that's where we see, like, the heart of God's economy. But we, um, in this passage, sorry, um, in this passage, we see the why behind the heart. So, like, let's look real quick at the excuses. They're all lame. Have you noticed that? The first two are people that, like, bought big properties. I'm, we are not an agriculture family. We're not very country. But, like, I know you're not going to buy a property without going and seeing it. And I know you're not going to buy livestock without going and seeing it. And so it's kind of like this like stupid excuse, right? And then the second is, well, or the third is, I got married. Well, like bring her to the bring her to the feast. Like you're not at your wedding feast. You're not on your honeymoon. Like it doesn't say that. He just says, I have a wife now, so I can't do it. Um, and so the master responds and says, like, go quickly, bring in the lame, the poor, um, the cripple, all of that. He instructs his um, servant to find those that are marginalized. These are not the people in the nice part of town. They're not like the businessmen. Um, or the people of good repute. They don't have any social standing to give. They aren't wealthy. They don't have any connections and everything like that. Um, They are those like in the dangerous part of town. Like the highways back then, you would not travel on except for during the day and with a group. There were robbers and there were thieves on the highways. It was dangerous. And he's saying, go to those bad parts of town and bring in those people. And did you notice about like the people that he says to invite, the poor, the crippled, the lame? They literally cannot make their way to the party without a helper. They can't get there on their own. Some of them can't see to even get to the party without a helper. And these are the people that the master of the house has like personally and purposefully extended the invitation to the feast. And because like they can't offer anything to him, he wants to give them that. In our own literal economy, I think that we prioritize and we empower wealth over poverty. 
we see it a lot in our school systems, right? Like, you know, the funding and everything. We see it in our grocery store placements. Have you ever, like, you know, been to a really, you know, poor side of town and there's nowhere to get groceries except for maybe the 7-Eleven and Dollar General? Um, and opportunities that people have, all of that. Um, if you look wealthy in our, in our economy, then you look promising because it's transactional. But in God's economy, we're told that the poor are lifted up. And that's what he, James is talking about. He's saying, don't like look at the rich person that's coming into your assembly and give him the seat of honor. Is he not the one that's like dragging you along and you know, is being petty, dragging you to court, oppressing you? Like, why are you doing that? Give it to the poor because in God's economy, the poor will be exalted. Um, in eternity, the poor are going to have and um, be given heirship in a position in God's royal household because they draw near to him because they have no other choice. Um, the rich, did you notice they let the ordinary and mundane things cloud their judgment? Um, they don't desire to be with the host because they are looking for satisfaction in things um, that will not satisfy. They're totally satisfied not going to the most amazing feast for the stupidest reasons. Um, but those like on the lanes and the highways, those are who the master calls. They are hungry and they want to come to the only feast and have the only gift that is going to satisfy them. And so if God is the host in this passage, then who is the servant? It's us, right? Like it, we are the servant to bring the people into the feast. Um, and so, you know, as we think about James and he, him talking about, you know, not showing partiality and everything, um, how can we be good servants for, uh, for our host, okay? Um, are we in contact with people that are marginalized? Like, that's one thing that when I was studying, am I truly in contact where I can serve people that need serving? If we're not, and I can say, like, I don't know that I am as much as I want to be, then let's start praying that God would give us eyes to see and opportunities to do, like James is saying, to be a doer for his great feast, okay? When we look at people, if we're honest with ourselves, do we see what they can do for us? Is it like, you know, you kind of look and you're like, oh, you're like me. At the very least, you're not going to make me uncomfortable. You know, I mean, that, that happens sometimes, I think. Or do we see what God has done for us and where we, like, you know, where we were that, you know, God bent down and brought us up, and we want um, them to see what he can do for them? Um. And how can our church be a place that reflects this passage where they, the, a person that is just down, either not just like financially poor, but just poor in spirit, that they are welcomed here. Um, where the weak and the wounded and the sick and the sore can come and feast, where they know that this is a safe place. I think we need to be um, praying that our doors might be open to those who are marginalized, that we can serve well. Um, I think for, we pray for bravery and humility as we get to know and serve our neighbors well, especially like in our new building. It's a whole new area of town. Um, there are people that may not look like us or have the same life um, you know, experience as us or that kind of thing. Let us like befriend them, not as projects, but like as true brothers and sisters in Christ. Let, like, let them come to the table and feast with us. Um, and then a shameless plug, um, let us get involved to make more space at the table. Um, to serve our Father's feast. Um, find a spot in the church to serve if you are not. Uh, you know who cannot offer very much? Kids. Like, they can offer you a good laugh, but they don't have any social standing. 
They don't have much money in their piggy bank. But you know what? When you are serving them in the children's ministry, you are serving the least of these. And that is what Christ has called us to do. You are bringing the poor up to have a seat at the table and for them to know that they are important, special in God's kingdom. Um, and I will tell you this, guaranteed, you, it will bless you more than it will bless the people that you serve. It doesn't just have to be children's ministry, although it's a good one. Um, so um, let's see. Okay, so what happens when we fail? If you are reading this text and you didn't um, end up a little bit discouraged at the end, I'd wonder if you read it and internalized it well. When I was prepping, like I kept thinking, oh my gosh, there is no one more ill-equipped than me to, to bring this. Like this, it was terrifying. <laughs> so um, they just, I feel like events, uh, you know, over and over were popping in my head of like, oh my gosh, I have wronged this way and that way and everything. But true to James' style, um, he also directly pops in this reminder of grace. Like he's, you know, um, like a surefire shot on you know all the stuff and then all of a sudden he pops in grace um, and a reminder of why he came so he talks about the law and he says like um, we were never meant to uphold the law you know like great you didn't commit adultery but you committed murder so you're you're out like you're sunk thou ship sunk um, the original audience would have um, known this even better than we do um, because the law was basically we've said this before a giant measuring stick for how to be right with God and that measuring um, stick didn't really, you know, we didn't measure up. It showed us how far we had before we were right with God and how um, our inability to be able to do that. It was impossible for us to. So, of course, we find ourselves guilty. We find ourselves guilty of being quick to anger, of the, um, our tongue being too sharp or cutting, of judging or capitalizing or marginalizing others for our own gain. Um, but he ends with the sweetest news we could ever hear. And I'll end on this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As Christ's mercy has triumphed over our earned judgment, let us go out clinging to that mercy and share it with the world.